Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 9 and as a reminder, if you have questions that you want me to answer on the podcast, send them to me via email on michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's Michael with a K or send them to me on Facebook, you can just go to scientifictriathlon.com in your browser and there is a facebook messenger widget in the bottom right corner of the screen that you can just open up and send through your question before we get into today's questions a big thank you to our sponsors first we have stack that you can find on stackzero.com that's s-t-a-c zero spelled out dot com and uh, yes now i have finally ridden on my new stack zero halcyon their new smart trainer model that won the bike training accessory category at the Eurobike Awards in 2018, which is a great achievement in some stiff competition. And uh, I was really happy with it. I actually, at the same time, I signed up for Swift and also Ruby and tested both of those platforms out, which was quite cool because I've never had a smart trainer. I've never used any of those platforms. The only thing that I've used in the past has been Trainer Road. So, so it was really just cool to check out the, the simulation mode, how it feels to go uphill and downhill and how much more power you have to produce going uphill. And yeah, I just enjoyed the experience immensely. So if you're looking to buy a smart trainer, this uh, new Halcyon has my warm recommendation and you can actually get it for 20% off. Note that the discount code has changed. It's not the same as it used to be. Now it is that triathlon show, all one word, all caps. Uh, so use that on stackzero.com to get 20% off the new Halcyon or any of their other bike trainer models. And big thanks to Ventum that you can find on ventumracing.com. And that too is now tested. Uh, so I tested it by the time of this recording just a few days ago after having my bike fit, getting it back from the final tune-up at the bike shop as well. And wow, did it go fast. And uh, I still think that I have a long ways to go with optimizing my, my bike fit. There are some, some things that I definitely will need to look into, like for example, changing my aero bar position a bit because my wrists tensed up. But uh, despite that, some fit issues that I still need to sort out, like this bike was was so fast. I went on a route that I'm used to going at. I did not have my power meter because I still, I left that on my road bike. I didn't have time to change really, but I just knew, know my body, knew my effort. And uh, for the same effort, I went so much faster than I used to. So, and this is me in a very detrained state. I've had a two week break from all training before that. So I was... I'm super pleased and I'm pumped to get into next season and get into the the non-draft racing and make that my primary focus next year and uh, do some really blazing fast bike splits, splits I, I really hope. So if you want to buy a Ventum, you can go to VentumRacing.com and you can get a free upgrade to race wheels, to Edco Aerosport G065 race wheels from Standard Wheels. So that is a serious bonus that Ventum offers you as a That Triathlon Show listener. And you can get that by using the discount code That Triathlon Show, all one words, all caps at checkout. Note that this won't be seen on the checkout page, but Ventum will be alerted to make the change. So do not worry if you don't see any, any apparent change at the checkout process. 
One more thing that I forgot to mention, actually, I have a couple of house cleaning items, and uh, it's that I recently appeared as a guest on two other podcasts in the endurance sports world. And the first one was uh, Oxygen Addict, which I'm sure a lot of you are familiar with, especially the UK listeners. So in episode 205, I was interviewed by Rob Wilby, and uh, we talk about my training and my athletic career mostly and what has led me to to a relatively fast progress in in triathlon although a very hard-earned one and not definitely not a linear one it's been there's been a lot a lot of up and ups and downs along the way and so we talk about that what training has worked for me and some tips that uh, that you and others might glean from that and also about my recent uh, age group victory in the Ironman 7.3 Kashkais. And the, the second uh, podcast was uh, the Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast. And the episode was titled From Run to Triathlons. And the main topic here really was how to go from being a runner to getting started with triathlons. But I would say that any beginner triathlete, even if you are already in triathlon, any beginner triathlete will benefit from listening to that. But I will say that the content is uh, definitely more geared towards the beginner segment of the audience, not as relevant for intermediate and advanced triathletes. But there might be some uh, some information that that you might find interesting and uh, enter- entertaining, especially some of the more personal questions that, uh, like, not super personal, but uh, things like my favorite books, my favorite running distances, my favorite uh, uh, runs locally where I live in Lisbon, my endurance plans for the future, some adventurous stuff coming up, and and other fun facts that you might enjoy listening to. So, so it was a bit of a mixed episode that one as well. So, Oxygen Addict episode two hundred five and uh, Run Runners Connect Run to the Top podcast from Run to Triathlons. No episode number on that one. I'll link to both of them in the description of this episode, and you can just find them by looking in your podcast app. All right, so the questions for today's episode. First, we have uh, one from Andrew in the United States. He writes, hey, Michael, uh, the strength training program has been going really well. I really enjoyed this season's focus on strength training while in the base training phase. Uh, I don't have any questions about that, just trying to fit it in while leaving room for aerobic training uh, so that both can be effective. Uh, And that is proving a bit difficult uh, due to being busy uh, with uh, being a student and having jobs and uh, my athletic schedule as well. But another question that I have is that I am struggling with knowing what to do for next season's training. I will be training for the ITU Draft Legal World Championships next year with a few other major races along the way, including the US Collegiate Nationals in April. In the past, I have used my knowledge that I've gained through reading training books by Joe Friel and others to design my training plans, but I often find myself second-guessing myself and have ineffective training as a result. My goals include a podium finish at Worlds, uh, so that is uh, some serious, uh, seriously high-level goals there and a really fast athlete we're talking about. Uh, so I really need to be smart in next season's training. I would hire a coach and I would definitely try to go with you, but uh, I find myself with a college student's budget, so the cost is a bit too much. My question is, what should I do to find the most effective training? Should I just read more books, buy a training plan, break into the Olympic Training Center, I know that each athlete is unique, which is why I'm hesitant just to drop money on a generic training plan. But perhaps that's the best next step. I'm sorry sorry for rambling, just looking for some professional advice. Thank you. Okay, so those are some really great and interesting questions. So let's break it down a bit. Well, first of all, if you can break into the Olympic Training Center, then that would be amazing. And I would recommend trying to go for that if that is actually a realistic goal that you might have. 
but if that doesn't work out, here are a couple of more generally applicable uh, tips that you should definitely keep in mind when you when it comes to planning your training for next season. The first would be to really make a focus on setting intermediate goals, and they can be races and they can be tests like threshold tests, typical 20-minute FTP test or 20-minute run, those sorts of things, CSS test or 1,000-meter swim test, and, and use them to verify if the training that you have been doing over the last period, whether it's four, six, or eight weeks, whether it has been working. Note that you cannot expect to see improvements every four weeks in every four disciplines. I'm sure that you are very well aware of that. But you should have an idea uh, if, uh, for example, you have been focusing on the bike over the last eight weeks, and that is an area where you would expect to see improvement based on the time and the effort that you put in, then uh, if you don't see that improvement, then you need to go back to the drawing board a little bit perhaps, and at, or at least try to find out why you did not improve, and vice versa, if you did improve, whether it was expected or not. Go back and look at what you did and try to perhaps reverse engineer that. Try to analyze what went well and why you have had those improvements that you've seen. So use intermediate goals, whether they are races. And this can be sprint triathlons or even Olympic triathlons. But it can, it can also be pure running races, especially. But even, even cycling and swimming races, if you have, have the opportunity to do events like that. Although that often gets a bit less specific because a road cycling race is not really the same as a as a triathlon bike and uh, same with cyclocross races and swim meets definitely not the same as a triathlon swim but it can still be something that is highly motivating and uh, perhaps uh, being in a race situation can actually get you to produce your very best compared to being in a solo time trial test so, so it's worth considering if you have those options available. But that would be my first point, having those intermediate checkpoints scheduled regularly in each discipline and, make, and using them to see what is working and why it is working and what is not working and why it is not working. But within those blocks, uh, as I said, you, you can't expect to improve every four weeks in every discipline. That's not going to happen, especially not at your level. Uh, but don't second guess your training when you're in a block. Let's say that you have an eight week focus period where you want to see some improvement on the on the bike and uh, you want to at least maintain your run and swim fitness. Uh, when you're in that block, you, you plan it and uh, then you don't second guess your training. You just execute. And, and then a- only after that block, when you see how it went, you see the results of your next test. That's when you analyze and see if you need to change something. But in the planning process, you should, of course, make smart and thought-through, educated guesses. I mean, we are, at the end of the day, we are always guessing when we're planning our training because there is no formula. You won't know if it's the right answer until after a period of time. And if if you will know it at all, (laughs) that's the best case scenario. And how long that period of time is, that will vary depending on, on what type of training that you're doing. So for example, a block of VO2 max training can give results in just four weeks or so, whereas more traditional base building with high volume, low intensity, it can be highly useful, but it takes months and months to produce results. So, And it's very difficult to measure, uh, especially outside of a lab. Uh, so that does not mean that it's not useful, but uh, 
but it, it just means that you you have to have a bit of faith in what you're doing. You have to make full through educated guesses, as I said, and then just don't second guess it. Just follow through on that until you come to a decision point, which is predefined, which can be a test as, or a race, as mentioned, or it can be just that you decide to to see how you feel after three months on this, for example, high volume base building strategy, and uh, then you will reassess whether you make a test or not. So, so have predefined checkpoints and uh, and in the meantime between those checkpoints do not second guess your training because then uh, chances are you won't get the same benefit if you don't trust the training that you're doing that is actually a very important thing to to have that trust in your training whether you plan it or somebody else plan it then the next thing that i want to add when it comes to planning your training for the season is focus on the big picture don't get bogged down in the small details with that, I mean, for example, like the, the high impact decisions that you make, that comes down to should you be training 10 hours per week or 20 hours per week over the next couple of months? And should you be splitting your training time more or less equally across the disciplines? Or should you have a fo- focus on the bike training? You will have 60% bike volume over the next four weeks to try to really work on your bike. Those sorts of big high-level decisions are the important ones, the, the decisions that will have a high impact. Whereas if you should have one minute or 75-second recoveries between your 400-meter intervals on the track, that is uh, a very low impact decision. Don't get me wrong. Like It's something that uh, if you have the, the time and the bandwidth, it's worth considering. But don't let all those minor decisions uh, get in the way of getting the big decisions, making, doing your best to getting those big decisions right. That, that is really important. And some other examples just on what those big decisions are. It's should you focus on a VO2 max type block or should you focus more on a sweet spot type block? In swimming, should you focus more on fitness or should you have a technique-focused period? Those sorts of things all come into play. So so that's something that I think a lot of age groupers often really miss the mark on, focusing too much on the small details and not focusing enough on the big picture and the high-impact decisions. So so that's uh, not, not much more to say about that other than really make sure that you are aware of what you're doing and uh, and making sure that you, you prioritize... The, the amount of energy and uh, thinking time that you spend right then as for how to you mentioned they're buying some books and training plans and uh, using them to learn how to plan your training and uh, a few comments on that i think that investing in a few different training plans generic training plans as well as reading books are great ways to learn how different coaches think about uh, training and how they structure training it is cheap uh, definitely Although I know that some training plans can be expensive, but compared to to monthly coaching fees, as you say, over a long time especially, it is still a small investment. So so if you do that, you buy a few books, you buy a few training plans, and you analyze the different training plans there, and you get a feel for some common denominators, if any, and you and you just assess and think about what aspects of the different plans might work for you and what you think might be your best bet. There is, again, there's no formula, there's no one right answer, many ways to skin a, skin a cat. So you can apply from these different sources of inspiration and learning 
but that said, don't mix and match too liberally. Like the extreme example would be to take a 10k run training plan and take a 1500 meter uh, swim training plan and uh, take uh, a 40 kilometer uh, bike training plan if there is one that is not a time trial. So I don't know if there is some, something like that, but you get the idea. Taking individual discipline training plans and then mixing them together and assuming that that will make a good triathlon training plan of course it won't and that is an extreme example but even with less extreme examples you can easily try to be too liberal in mixing and matching the 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 most shiny objects from the different training plans that's often what happens so uh, so a good way to go about this is to either apply blocks completely from one plan at a time and just focusing on taking these eight weeks from plan a and taking the next eight weeks from plan b and so on or just make your own plan from scratch based on what you learned from analyzing the plans uh, from analyzing the plans and that might actually be my uh, my recommendation my 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 yeah that that would be how i would recommend that you would be your priority number one to go about it but this strategy, yeah, I would highly recommend following it. And this is actually, it's one of the ways in which I perform my continuing coaching education. Uh, just uh, reading a lot of books, buying a lot of training plans and uh, and analyzing all of them and trying to draw inspiration from different sources, learning about what a lot of people are doing. Uh, even just reading athletes' training plans like Cody Beals, for example. I love reading his blog and reading about his training. And you always have to take everything with a grain of salt, especially when it's an athlete's training plan, because it's an N equals one. When it's a coach's training plan, you know that usually they will have used that plan on many, many athletes and seen that on average, it works really well. So so then you can have uh, you can assume that the sample size is a bit larger. But but I do think that it's a great way to go about things. So I would highly recommend that. And, and in terms of books, since you already read the Joe Friel books, uh, I would recommend as an other very different books in book in terms of style is uh, matt dixon's fast track triathlete and that also has some training plans in it although they are focused on the half and full distance so not completely relevant to your type of racing but still again i think that you can learn something from it that you can apply and also the training plans in triathlon science and those chapters are written by gail bernhardt uh, so Triathlon Science is a book co-edited by Joe Friel and Jim Vance, but those chapters with the training plans are Gail Ber- Bernhardt's uh, plans. For swimming and for getting inspiration and more knowledge about training planning for swimming, I would definitely uh, sign up for Swim Smooth Guru Pro, which is something like $15 US per month. And even if you just sign up for a month and study the plans in there and the workouts in there for one month and then unsubscribe, that information that you will learn will be worth that investment literally a hundred times over. And another similar thing that you can do for cycling and triathlon cycling would be to sign up for Trainer Road and checking out their training plans. Uh, again, you can do the exact same process as for Swim Smooth and just l- look at their training plans, learn how they structure the training. And that is priceless knowledge for you as a self-coached athlete. So, so those are some other great resources and finally, for running, a great book that I would recommend is uh, is a bit of a hidden gem, which is Pete Fitzinger's Faster Road Racing Fast 5K, 5, 5K to Half Marathon. So check that out for running. And uh, a lot of these names that uh, that 
I've been dropping here are actually past guests of the podcast, so not necessarily relevant to your question, but I just want to mention that for all the listeners. And uh, Joe Friel, Matt Dixon, Gail Bernhardt, Paul Newsom from Seems Move, and uh, and uh, Chad Timmerman from Trainer Road have all been on the podcast. So I'll link to these episodes in the show notes, so you can go and check those out as well. And one other thing that we already discussed over email, Andrew, but I want to bring it up here for the listeners' information. Uh, this question and the answer, my answer on how to train, is, of course, a very broad one. And as you say, every athlete is unique and there is no one right answer. The best way to get a more educated guess and a better estimate of what might work is to know is for the coach to learn more and more about the athlete. And that, that is why a coach-athlete relationship is so valuable. And discussing back and forth is what makes it so valuable. It's not getting the coach's training plan, but it's getting the interaction with the coach. Uh, so, uh, so without that sort of discussion, it's difficult to give anything but kind of quite generic answers. Uh, so as, uh, as we discussed in an email, a consultation uh, might be a good idea for you uh, since you can't uh, invest in coaching. But uh, consultation is a great way to get some of the benefits that you would get from ongoing coaching for a fraction of the cost. And that is something that I offer, but a lot of other coaches offer that as well. So you can just have a look around and, and see. And again, just as with the books and the resources, this is an area where you might benefit from talking to several different, having consultations with different coaches and getting different ideas and feedback. And that way you can puzzle together your training plan at the end to the greatest effect. All right, so question number two. Thank you, Andrew, for that first question and good luck in the worlds. Uh, this second question is from Itai from Israel. And uh, that's uh, great, by the way, to get a question from that corner of the world. Uh, Itai writes, Hi, Michael. First of all, thanks for the great podcast. I'm a huge fan. I have a question that maybe you'll be able to address on one of your Q&A podcasts. When you have running workouts around your lactate threshold, will you go by lactate threshold heart rate or lactate threshold pace? I think that most of, most people go by pace, but I have an issue with that because pace is being affected by many variables such as weather, terrain, your fatigue and more, while heart rate takes into consideration all of those factors. I wonder what your opinion is on that. So this is a really good question and... Uh, it uh, it's somewhat complex, but the short answer is that uh, in an in an ideal world, you should know how to use both alongside each other and also alongside your perceived effort. And you should never rely on just one input in determining how fast you should go. You should have all of those three: pace, heart rate, and perceived effort should guide you. But you should also be able to use any one of these in isolation if all the other ones fail well hopefully perceived effort will never fail but uh, but if it should theoretically you you would i would like you to be able to go by either heart rate or pace without having anything else to go by uh, but but this is not as ideal as using all of them alongside each other so another short answer still before I get into the details. If I had to choose only one of pace and heart rate, I would choose pace without hesitation. And now we get into the more complex stuff, which is why. Why would I do that? Well, first, four workouts around your lactate threshold. I prefer my athletes to most often to run on the flat roads and even running on a track is okay. As I also want to use these workouts because it is a fairly high pace and I want to, to give a little bit of stimulation for, for leg speed in these workouts. Uh, so in some cases, 
when the athlete doesn't have any flat roads available in their in their area this is a bit of a problem then pace is not really a good metric you are right and in these cases they will use run power if available or heart rate and of course as always rpe to judge their effort and uh, and determine what intensity to run at but if you do have flat flat roads that's where i would prefer that you run most of these lactate threshold workouts so terrain isn't really an argument here uh, for uh, neither for pace or for heart rate in terms of weather, uh, it is true that wind does affect pace, and especially hard winds can affect it quite significantly, uh, which is why you must you also must be in tune with your body and also with heart rate, of course, and feel based on that how much you should adjust. But typically, the way I would go about it is uh, I would only adjust by a handful of seconds per kilometer in terms of pace, and then seeing how my RPE or my heart rate responds. So you, if you are going to run in windy conditions for example you should well it doesn't matter what conditions you're going to be running it you should never be single-mindedly locked to any given number that's not the way that training works and after all both your threshold pace and your threshold heart rate they are estimates that you made on one given day or perhaps you have made estimates based on uh, several tests and you have sort of taken an average or you have uh, tune them a little bit when you feel that you're improving that's good that's great but they are still moving targets and they are estimates we we have to acknowledge that and there's nothing nothing magical about them as uh, as particular numbers so the idea is just to be close enough and close enough is good enough so so the way that i would go about this to if i go out and run on a very windy day i would go out and start running at my threshold pace and feel oh oh it's windy today so i had better slow down a little bit i feel that my uh, my rpe is a bit too high so i slow down a few seconds per kilometer perhaps five seconds per kilometer and then i see where my where my rpe is does it feel like i'm now running at my threshold effort and i see after a few minutes like three minutes when heart rate has had time to sort of stabilize is it stabilizing around my lactate threshold heart rate or is it actually still rising and rising above my threshold heart rate and then uh, then that's a sign that perhaps i could slow down a little bit more but i actually usually trust rpe even more than heart rate to be honest uh, that is because i'm very much in tune with my body when i'm in particular when running but in all three disciplines really but in running which is my my strong my background that's where i really can feel like very closely which pace i'm running at and what is the right effort for any given duration uh, but but i would use both of them and and i would tune the pace to to that to see feeling that okay now i i basically scaled down my effort by five seconds per kilometer and my heart rate is now stable at a good level my rpe feels like this is my threshold effort so as long as the conditions stay constant let's assume that i keep running in the same direction and the wind is more or less constant then i just know that okay now i just lock myself to this this kind of pace and even if my heart rate then towards the end of that threshold workout starts climbing which it might because of uh, the cardiac drift i will still keep that same pace i will not slow down because if the wind hasn't changed then i why would i change because i know that i i was right around that threshold effort when i started so so that's to give you an example uh, and if you talk about heat a little bit then yes heat makes you reach your lactate threshold heart rate at uh, quite a moderate pace already so it will have a huge impact and you might not be able to go at the same pace but 
the truth is that unless we're talking very hot and humid climates, you would probably be sandbagging the workout if you followed heart rate. Because, well, for give me to give you an example first, you'll find that you can quite often do the workout and follow the pace prescription even in for example 25 degree celsius heat which if i just google that quickly uh this is great podcasting with googling on the fly that's 77 fahrenheit Uh, so in that sort of heat you can usually still hold that pace unless it's a very long workout Uh, but your heart rate could be 10 beats per minute higher than normal in for example 50 degree heat that's not a problem. The reason for this is that your heart needs to pump more blood around to also cool down the body and bring blood to the uh, and bring heat to the to the skin. But your muscles aren't working any harder. Harder. You aren't uh, pushing any more blood to your muscles. It's only your heart that does more work to uh, to push blood to the skin to get rid of heat. So if you follow heart rate, you actually don't give your muscles that adequate threshold stimulus, which is why. If you live in a climate with extreme heat, you should run your quality workouts in a cool indoor environment because you actually will never be able to stimulate your muscles enough if you always run outdoors in that extreme heat because you simply won't be able to get enough blood to the muscles for them to work at at the intensity that would be ideal for you for getting that ideal stimulus. But on the flip side, if you try to get to lactate threshold heart rate in very cold weather, you could find yourself almost sprinting because absolutely no cooling is needed. And again, this intensity, of course, becomes incorrect for your muscles. This time it becomes much too high. And you won't be able to complete the workout if you, since you have to go so hard to, to get your heart rate up to the level that your threshold heart rate is set at. And again, this, this of course, depends on which weather condition you had and which... Uh, uh, on, on the day that you determined your threshold. So, for example, in a threshold test. If you talk about fatigue, this is a difficult one and it really needs to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis. But in general, if you are too fatigued to do the workout in a way that gives your body both cardiovascularly and musculoskeletally the right stimulus, then you should just do a very easy workout. What I don't think you should be doing is to go moderately hard but uh, having an elevated heart rate that is at your threshold heart rate, for example, so your muscles would be working at a moderate intensity, your heart at a threshold intensity, I don't think that you get anything out of that if you are fatigued. Then you, what you should be doing is to just go easy and get a, a light cardiovascular and light musculoskeletal stimulus and try to get rid of that fatigue. And then when you're ready, you do the hard workout and you make sure that you get that proper stimulus, a hard stimulus for both uh, your muscles and for your cardiovascular system. And on the flip side, if you are in a state of non-functional overreaching, something that I have personal experience with uh, in actual, actually in two periods of this season, then you'll find it really impossible to get your heart rate up. And this is a very clear signal that your body needs to rest. And we'll actually discuss this in an upcoming interview with uh, Cyril Schmidt, a PhD, in a future episode on the podcast. I don't know exactly when it will be out, but before the end of the year, I'm, I think. So, so fatigue, again, it really it can behave both ways. Your heart rate can be uh, elevated or it can be, it can be too low depending on, and both of those cases could indicate fatigue, but the sec- in the latter case, it would be really you being in the state of non-functional overreaching. So no, uh, fatigue is not, uh, heart rate is not a good, uh, good measure for 
basically for dealing with fatigue you need to to evaluate different inputs but uh, but again it all comes down to the fact that if you are so fatigued that you can't give your body the proper stimulus then you should not do that workout you should just replace it with a very easy workout or you should skip the workout altogether and rest some other factors why i consider pace better than heart rate is first heart rate lag uh, if you follow heart rate it's more difficult to execute the workouts because it will take a few minutes for your heart rate to increase uh, and stabilize to the right level which means that the tendency is to go too fast at the start but also too slow at the end because heart rate also tends to climb and it's okay in threshold workouts for heart rate to climb above your threshold heart rate that that's at least in my opinion that's the way that i coach because we have the cardiac drift that i'll get into as well and uh, as long as you make sure that your heart rate is stable at that threshold level then you keep that same output the same pace or the same power and uh, you keep going I don't care if the heart rate then starts to climb towards the end of, let's say, a 20-minute threshold segment. Uh, that's uh, that's not a problem at all. Uh, I, I think that's that's totally fine. So the tendency, if you if you blindly follow heart rate, is to go out too fast and then end too slow, which is not good. I would rather have it the other way around. So then cardiac drift, as I mentioned, especially for longer sets, like for example, if you do. 10 minute intervals at threshold or you do like a 20 minute continuous threshold run then this cardiac drift is a real factor and this simply means that for those not familiar that your heart rate keeps climbing even if your actual lactate level uh, is right around that threshold at a steady state so your lactate in your muscles in your working muscles is in steady state but your heart rate is not this is cardiac drift it keeps climbing a bit it keeps increasing and again what happens is that you might actually slow down because you think that whoops i should slow down i'm going too fast but you're not your lactate was right around that right steady state maximum lactate steady state level but uh, then you decrease for simply because you think that you're running too fast which heart rate can cause you to think because of this cardiac drift effect and pace is not really it does not work like that pace is pace as long as uh, as we mentioned you're running on fairly flat roads and weather conditions are sort of normal and also another thing is that i'm quite confident that in terms of the measurements themselves heart rate has much lower accuracy and precision than pace than pace it's uh, so it's more unpredictable because of that now i don't know this for a fact but uh, i i'm i'm pretty certain that this would be the case for example if you go out six times and do a 20 minute threshold run on a fairly flat road and you run blind you tape shut your the screen on your the display on your watch and you just run to your threshold perceived effort you run to rpe and again assuming that hard winds and hot weather very hot weather is not part of uh, the equation here then i think that you would find a much better correlation between your rpe and the pace compared to the rpe and the heart rate which would be one way to validate that pace is a better way to run these workouts. Uh, but to wrap up, I want to come back to the fact that both are good and I want to have both and use them alongside each other, both as a coach and as an athlete. But I would rec- highly recommend using pace as the primary metric or power if you have power available, of course, and heart rate as the secondary or even tertiary, uh, because I think that RPE should be first or second depending on what type of athlete you are and what type of terrain you're running on if you're running on flat roads then pace might be first but uh, if you're not running on very flat roads then rpe might be first 
One final thing to point out is that uh, this discussion applies to threshold runs, as that was your question. My recommendations would be slightly different for different types of run. For example, zone 5 VO2 max runs, I would say never even care about heart rate. And uh, well, in post-workout analysis, you can, yes, but, but not in the workout itself. You should run that to pace and to RPE. Whereas in easy runs, zone 1 to zone 2 runs, I would say that heart rate becomes more of an equal to pace if not even more important like i would have no problems with you running those easy workouts to heart rate and just make sure that you stay at or below the top end of your zone 2 heart rate when you are supposed to run a zone 2 run for example so i hope this helps this is actually a very important question that i'm glad was brought up because i don't think i talked much about it before so thank you itai it uh, it was a really good one all right, so I hope that you enjoyed this Q&A and found it useful. Uh, as a reminder, if you are new to the podcast, please subscribe so that you automatically get all the new episodes as they are released. And if you've been listening for a long time, please consider leaving a rating and review wherever you get your podcast. And if you use an Android app that doesn't let you do that, like I do, I use Pocket Cast on Android, which means I can't uh, rate any podcast. But I have downloaded iTunes to my computer and I have a PC. You don't need a Mac to do that. And I can review other podcasts on that iTunes uh, on the computer. So that's what I do because I do want to give reviews to all the other great podcasts that I listen to because I know how important it is for podcasters. And uh, so, yeah, please do that if you are not an Apple person. Uh, it's uh, really, really a great way that you can help the podcast and keep it uh, going. I want to thank somebody who just recently posted a review, and it's uh, from the United States, uh, athlete that who writes a great show, Five Stars. Michael with a K is an awesome host, definitely knows his stuff around triathlon and podcasting. All the episodes are well thought through, and his guests are world-class in their field, and the interviews are well-crafted and edited. Five stars for sure, but in the future episodes, I would like to hear a bit more interviews with female athletes and coaches. Also, some young athletes' points of views would be nice. Would be a nice add into the mix. Keep up the good work. This is an excellent comment, and something I have actually I've been trying to do already, uh, but not enough, admittedly. And I have actually very recently myself thought about this and been frustrated with the lack of female guests that I have. But to give an example of how, how seriously I try to take this, uh, I remember my interview with Danielle Stefano, for example. I really found her through like just following the female coaches network and just browsing through their uh, their website and looking at every single coach and trying to find somebody who could be a great guest for the podcast so so i didn't know her by name at all i just googled female coaches and female female endurance coaches things like that and found that network and found her through that so it is something that i really take seriously and uh, but i do need to try to to do an even better job of actually following through and actually getting those female coaches and in some cases athletes although i do less athlete interviews on the podcast there are a couple of, of reasons that there are so few of them well first of all there are not enough female coaches and experts in the industry so if you are a female coach or considering becoming a coach or similar then i would highly encourage you to do it because the triathlon world the endurance sports world really needs you and uh, a second point is that female coaches and experts are probably not as good or they 
I don't not say that they're not as good, but they probably don't simply don't market themselves as much as the males, which makes it harder to find them, and they are simply less well known. Uh, which uh, for sure, like I know a lot less female coaches than I know male coaches, like even by name from the internet. And the final thing, which I don't really know why, but the female experts that I do contact seem to be much harder to get onto the show. And uh, again, this is why you should rate and review the show, because the better it ranks, the easier it is to convince great guests to come on the show. Uh, and you did that already, Ves Athlete, so thank you for that. Uh, but for those who haven't, please do that. Uh, but really, my outreach hit rate is much lower with the women than the men. And uh, perhaps in terms of the potential guests that i contact my percentage is maybe 65 to 70 percent males and 30 to 35 percent female but in terms of actual interview guests that end up coming on the show i don't even want to guess but maybe it might be 85 percent males and 15 percent females which i think is very odd and i have no explanation for why but uh, that's just the way it is uh, but yes, I will definitely make an effort to to try to get more female coaches and experts on. It is a great point, and I'll double down in my efforts. Although this change will probably come into effect in 2019, because I've already more or less lined up all my interviews and episodes uh, throughout uh, the end of 2018. Young athletes point of view, that's another good suggestion. So, uh, but uh, I would appreciate it, uh, Ves Athlete, if you could send me an email to specify how young we're talking about. Are we talking about like junior athletes or just young young pros in the, let's say, 20 to 25 year age range or what? Uh, like, I would be interested in knowing and anybody else that has an opinion on this topic, uh, what would you look to get out of interviews with young athletes? All right, before we go, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Ventum that you can find on VentumRacing.com. They make the ultimate triathlon bikes, and they have the Ventum 1 flagship model and the superbike Ventum C, which you can get for an entry-level triathlon bike price point, which is a great, great value for money. That's the bike that I have personally. And you can get a free upgrade to Edco Aerosport G065 race wheels from training wheels when you use the promo code that triathlon show, all one word, all caps on ventumracing.com. And big thanks to Stack that you can find on stackzero.com. Uh, you can find their different bike trainer models there and also information on the virtual wind tunnel. Uh, you can check out my interview with Andrew Buckroll that I had on the virtual wind tunnel back in episode 47. Uh, also, Michael, coach Michael Lieberson was on there as well to talk about bike fit and how that plays into the virtual wind tunnel. And uh, you can also listen to my upcoming interview with Andrew Buckroll in a few weeks' time. And we'll talk about actually the importance of... Uh, of body core temperature and how to try to keep it down and how it affects your performance if you don't manage to do that the right way so that would be an interesting one for sure but check out their trainers if you're looking to buy a new trainer on stackzero.com and use the promo code that's triathlon show all one word all caps to get 20 percent off your stack bike trainer thank you as always for listening keep training smart and keep loving triathlon <laughs>